What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's The Answer. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined, as always, by Sirit Sohi. Sirit, what's up? How's it going, Chris? You know what? It's great to see your face week after week because the theme of this podcast is continuity, and we're asking whether Mm -hmm. or not this is the season of continuity. I think that's probably secretly the thing we don't talk about with the era of player movement, player empowerment, whatever you want to call it, where... We're constantly looking at these trade headlines and the gossip and the rumor mill and refreshing hoops hype. But like the teams that tend to like be really good are the ones that maybe practice together for more than three months. (laughs) And we're certainly seeing that this season. And we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the teams coming out of the first half of the season as we enter into the all-star break that have kind of kept it together, right? That have not tinkered too much or maybe only like messed around on the margins and what their prospects are for the second half of the season. Does that sound good to you? That sounds great, Chris. Um, Thanks for not trading me at the deadline. I really appreciate that. We just couldn't Um, make the money work. I mean, that's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't get a third team involved, you know? Yeah, I've got got, got like a poison pill thing on my contract. Like it it changes when I get to the States anyway. So it was just, I get it. It was was tough. Yeah, right. Yeah. That third year is a killer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But hey, it's good for me. Um, so where do you want to start here? Because obviously, the if you look at everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks, and obviously what we've spent most of our time talking about, it's the Nets, it's the Sixers, it's the teams that got very creative at the trade deadline to make a push to, make, to win a championship, or sometimes out of circumstances, sometimes out of desire, but whatever. Uh, but then you've got the teams that are actually cruising this season. And they know who they are, right? They know what their roster is. They know what their role players, what their roles are. They know who their stars are. And they may have made one or two additions, a Tory Craig here, a Serge Ibaka there. But it seems like the teams that are really good knew they were good and stayed that way. Yeah, I I almost, I want to open up with a little bit of a rant just so we can, you know, just get it out of my system. So then we can just talk about these lovely basketball teams that we're going to, that we're going to move on to. Yeah. Uh, 
Go for the it. Nets post deadline are finally not favorites to win the NBA championship. This comes off the heels of obviously the the Ben Simmons trade, but also just like you know losing a bunch of games and being more in play in range than 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 they were in 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 shape for contention. Um, and I don't know. It I, it kind of just like. It kind of builds off, I guess, what we talked about last week of just like the trade deadline and how these deals are kind of becoming bigger than the games. Um, like I, I'm just kind of I'm I've I've hit my breaking point. I think I think I've just hit my breaking point with it. I'm I'm so sick of it. I'm so annoyed of like the potential that certain teams have versus like the reality that we see on the floor and how much we actually pay attention to one versus the other. Like the Nets. You're becoming an old man. I am. <laughs> I am. Well, it was, well, it was my it was my birthday two weeks ago, so I was like, I think this is like just kind of like the next transition of my life yeah. um and i'm actually very cool with it i'm i'm hyped to age um i like i can't wait to hit 30 i feel like i'm just gonna like give less fucks than ever uh-huh. um but yeah no i'm 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 ready to admit it you know like the nets are completely theoretical they are completely theoretical. They remain completely theoretical. I don't know why, even now, like their their odds are so high. And the teams that we're going to talk about, we have we have the Suns now um, have the highest odds at plus four hundred. The Warriors plus four two five, and the and the Nets still aren't really that far behind at, at four seven five. Then you got the Bucks, the Sixers, the Heat. Uh, the Bulls are nowhere to be found. They're the, they're the two seed. The Cavs four seed. Grizzlies three seed, and then and the Jazz the four seed too. Right, like nowhere to be find, found in, in this. Um, and I'm just kind of, I'm A, annoyed, but I'm also very excited to talk about these teams that actually exist, that have, oh, the foundation is already built. Is your annoyance rooted more in the fact that for the month before, if not the three months before the trade deadline, until even through the trade deadline, because everybody basically took the week off after the trade deadline in terms of actually playing well, that we are... Just we are basically like so distracted by that stuff that we're not recognizing, say, the greatness of the Suns or the greatness of the Warriors, or the greatness of the Grizzlies or the greatness of the Bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Or even like the, the Bucks. The Bucks are fourth in, in championship odds. They are the defending champions. And Giannis is better than ever. The Sixers narrowly won that game. That was a really great game, by the yeah, way. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that game because I think it's an interesting uh, example of what we're talking about, a theoretical team versus a real team in some ways. The Sixers have been theoretical, arguably, since Sam Hinkie took over. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I think that the last couple of weeks especially, despite the fact that the Sixers had been on something of a roll, it was the anticipation was that either Simmons is going to get traded and there's going to be new players coming in, or possibly Simmons will come back and they'll have to reintegrate him into the Sixers system. Obviously, the former happened. It's sensationally so. So these last couple of games, including one that I am going to probably have to go to the Eternal Sunshine uh, lab to get taken out of my memory, which was this 50-point Celtics loss <laughs> earlier in the week, the Sixers then played the Bucks last night. It was a much closer uh, pro- facsimile of like what they've been this season, which is at times stunning generally pretty solid, crappy in the fourth quarter. Uh, they played a Bucks team that's cruising, right? And sometimes cruising doesn't look like there's a lot of exertion going on or there's a lot of, like, you know, challenge to it. It's just like we're just rolling along. We're ticking along. We want to be healthy. So what did you see from that game? Yeah, so to that point, you know, the Bucks are chilling. You know, they're just kind of doing what a team that just won a championship is supposed to do. You know, Giannis, if he was playing more minutes, would probably be the runaway MVP. He probably still should be anyways. He's kind of become like 
the LeBron of this era in that like he is incredibly athletic so you kind of forget the fact that he incrementally improves like every single year mm-hmm. um he now like he, he's got a pull-up mid-range jumper um he's just finishing incredibly well around the paint his playmaking has improved like he's just kind of he's made the leaps that you're supposed to make as a player but is also clearly like just is you know putting some effort into working on his weaknesses and like when you when you see like that that's one thing with the bucks that to me is the biggest thing that could actually maybe even shape like the future of the nba for the next five years or so uh last year Giannis's jump shot looked absolutely broken mm-hmm. you know like I, I I followed it like pretty closely and you know his elbow was poking out like the extremities were were, were everywhere and like you kind of know when you when you shoot a jumper you want everything to be tucked in his release is faster this year you can tell he's just kind of taking up less space uh, when he's shooting um, the elbows tucked in the the arc is higher um, and the shots are going in too he's like at 72 percent for the free throw line this year um, and like in that range in the game, he has also made improvements and he's also, you know, just improved as such like just, you know, these like these these post fadeaways in the, in the game against the Sixers. It was pretty much like any time that it wasn't Embiid on him, you know, like he would just go to the right block and you can't really just like be horizontal on him anymore and just keep your your base strong as as a defender, like as an undersized defender on him. Um, you know, you saw Green, Tobias uh Millsap probably has the best shot uh but he just kind of did whatever he wanted um Mm -hmm. and just hit shots over them and if he can do that I don't know it's just I to me it it kind of it might be over you know it might be over for a while given health um at least in the Eastern Conference uh this team is just really good they play really well together um and they and they continue to grow too like they are trying to take chances with the regular season um, as opposed to just kind of like trying to win games, right? Like Nikaias Duncan actually had a great article a couple a couple months ago about how they were using the regular season to diversify their offense, and like right. they haven't had Lopez, um, and that's kind of allowed them to use a more switchy, aggressive style with Portis at the five, who is also like he's he's really stepped up this year. He's also spacing the floor, and like you know you just don't really like I think they would probably miss Lopez in the playoffs rim protection wise but it's given them this new element too and like you saw it last night where man like in the fourth quarter like when the when the Bucks a like really start like that was a competitive game um you know like the the Bucks made some costly errors like the Middleton had that that pass to the corner that just went out of bounds and they were pissed about it right like they they genuinely really gave a shit about this game when they do and they they, they get those traps going it's scary. I think both teams cared. You know, it seemed like it, it was an interesting example of like the Sixers being forced to rely on guys who maybe don't bring it every night. They bring it effort wise, but maybe don't have their their best game every night. It was kind of cool to see Maxi explode in the second quarter, and and maybe I I, I really enjoyed it because a lot of people made a lot of the fact that like. Harden had a by himself meeting with Maxi, like a one on one with Maxi, like aside from the coaches. And then as soon as Maxi came out of that timeout where he talked to Harden, he immediately like kind of rattled off twelve points in the in the second quarter. And Harden was like, Thank you, thank you. So Coach Harden. James Harden, veteran leader. Yeah. But Adult you know, room. um they're relying on Furkan Korkmaz and George Niang to have consistently good nights, and that's not just that's just not gonna happen with role players every night. I thought it was interesting that it seemed like Doc and Bud were toying around with how would I do this for seven games ideas in that game last night. And it was funny at the end of the game, which was very close and came down to the last couple of possessions. 
I felt like Doc and Bud had like a warm embrace that was almost like see you soon. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I'm reading too much into it, but it's it felt like, you know, Rivers had Niang D up Giannis a lot. You know, he did not want Embiid taking that much physicality on both ends of the floor. Like he wanted Embiid fresh for offense. He wanted Embiid to be able to like kind of patrol the rim, but not get mired in chasing Giannis everywhere and, and banging with him all night. And I thought that that was kind of fascinating. The stuff that you pointed out also, just like how they're, the Bucks are experimenting with their offense. There's something about the w- way that they're playing that feels like they know what they're capable of so they can flip that switch, which is often like you associate that with maybe like LeBron teams where he's like, we're going to play our way into shape. We're going to be playing our best basketball in the spring. Then we go into the playoffs, like feeling like we have a chance or whatever. The Bucks feel like they, like they, they know what they are and they know what they're capable of and they're going to try and integrate Abaca into what they're doing now. I guess that means no Lopez, but who knows? Yeah, I thought I mean, it was I a fascinating game. I imagine if you can game. have both of them, that's great, right? But having... Yeah, I think I think Serge was a great pickup for them because of the Lopez thing. But you know, also just a guy that, that can plug and play. He can shoot threes, and he's also just very competitive in the playoffs. Like the one thing I noticed about Serge is that he just doesn't really care that much in the regular season. Like these boneheaded plays that you'll like, I think Bucks fans will like probably start getting used to and occasionally getting annoyed by, and like the defensive right. plays that he takes off. Like for the most part, gi- given that his body is like going to be okay, uh, since he hasn't, you know, like the. It's been it's been a while since he was in the finals, um, but he does level up as well. And then like what I was watching last night was like, where are the hardened holes here? You know, like where where am I watching? What am I watching that I think Harden will be doing? And also like just kind of out of curiosity, because Doc is just absolutely like married to this idea of playing five bad players at once. Um, like he never he's, he's never he, let that go he's just like he's just got a bad lineup that he loves playing the bad lineup you know and last night it was like Millsap, Niang, Korkmaz it was like some non-Embiid lineup that was like and I don't think Harris was in it either but he played it too much and that's how the Bucks kind of like stormed back and watching him stagger Harden and Embiid is going to be really interesting and my number one thing in the whole world is just like what does Harden do for the Sixers in the fourth quarter because He's another ball handler, obviously. He's another person who can make a shot under pressure, who can take a lot of pressure. But this is just going to be the story of the Sixers until I see otherwise. It's just like this team just seems to tighten up in the fourth quarters. And there's there's sloppy turnovers and the shot, the, the rim gets smaller. And it's just like it's just tough for them to execute and down the stretch. And that's why the Bucks basically almost took that game back. It was really, um, really tight down there. But it was I thought it was like a really... Um, illustrative game in a lot of ways and it was illustrative because this Bucks team despite losing at home was just like seemed pretty cool the entire time they didn't get too outside of themselves and you could tell that the Sixers team really needed that win after the Celtics lost because you don't want to go into the all-star break getting your ass kicked by Boston and then losing on the road after being up against Milwaukee and then hope everything gets magically cured after after a week off so Really fascinating. Who else you want to talk about in the East before we go to talk about like the Suns and stuff like that? Because since we're already in the Eastern Conference, you mentioned Chicago, and I was curious whether or not you know DeRozan is is basically like on put, putting up an MVP season right now. If, if he wasn't playing in the era of Jokic and Embiid and Giannis, I, I think we'd be seriously talking about this. Did you did you mind that they stood pat at the trade deadline? Like, what do you do? You think they, they, every time we're like, well, we'll see where Chicago is while this guy's out. 
they're just like, yeah, they're still at the top of the conference. Yeah, it's tough because, well, like you, I think Chicago wasn't necessarily a team that we are going to talk about today, but only because it is their first season together. Um, they don't necessarily fit into the format, but I am happy that you brought them up because they've been a team that has been impressive and also fits right into my curmudgeonly, like, you know, just annoyance with the good teams that we don't talk about. So thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah. The thing that kind of concerns me with them is kind of what you said. Like, you know, DeMar is probably fourth in MVP voting, but there are three incredible historic big men ahead of him. And I think I think it was two weeks ago. We did, like we, we, we talked about Chicago's perimeter defense uh-huh. and just when they're healthy they've kind of figured out a new way to defend. That's like one of the really exciting things about this season has been like seeing these teams just figure out just all these different sort of interesting ways to play defense. But, you know, whether it's the Cavs with like the big ball or or the Bulls with just like being like really, really just clamping down the perimeter in a way that... It's like the market inefficiency is like playing into the skill set of the people that you actually have on your roster rather than dreaming about what you could have. Incredible, right? Yeah, just like non non-theoretical basketball today that's all that's what we're about that's what we're about um but that said that front line I don't, I don't know like it's just you got you got Giannis you got Embiid you got Bam Adebayo in the east it's just kind of tough I don't know that there was a deal at the deadline that would that would have done anything I think this is like a kind of a matter of they didn't I don't think they knew how good they were going to be this season that they would actually need to be answering questions like that so they and- obviously heard that question because they went and got Tristan Thompson hat tip Rick Carlisle like if we were doing like the Shams tweet where we thank the agent, we're right, thanking yeah. Rick Carlisle for announcing that. But you know when you watch the Bulls, per Rick Carlisle, when you watch like East, when you watch like the regular season, I guess there's like often this idea that when you get to the playoffs, everything is going to change aesthetically or tactically or strategically on the court. Like the threes are going to get a bit harder to come by. Sometimes you can say like, well, this big man's going to get played off the court because teams are going to go small and spread the floor. Sometimes it's like, will, but are we almost saying like the inverse is the case for Chicago here where Chicago is actually going to like feel the absence of like any kind of a, like frontline muscle when they get into the playoffs. And if it's just Vooch and Tristan Thompson down there against Giannis and Bede, um, and bam it's like are you kind of like saying that like Chicago's regular season basketball may not actually fly in the postseason yeah I think maybe um it's really easy for me to picture a version of this team where they go up against a team like the Bucks and this is not to say that anybody else wouldn't face these problems against the Bucks but you know like things that DeMar DeRozan is doing right now I just think like like give give it give it four games of Drew Holiday and, and Chris Middleton just right. being on you, right? And obviously there's Zach Levine too. Like the the thing with Demar in the past and some of those playoff um mel- like meltdowns that he's that he's had like with the Raptors was that you know Kyle Lowry at the time just hadn't really unlocked his full scoring game. He just wasn't the offensive threat that he became under Nick Nurse. Um, so a lot of that attention was primarily on Demar. So. They will benefit from that aspect of it. He's also just completely mastered the mid-range. And that's just a shot that like the, the Bucks, for example, are like pretty much willing to give up. But, you know, like it's just it's just easy to see a version of this that plays out like Giannis just pummels his way to the rim over and over again. The the Bulls have no answer. It's early foul trouble. The Bucks are in bonus all the time. Um and on the other end, it's just like, you know, the, the Bucks defense just gets in the way of all the, the pretty passing and the movement and then the isolation stuff. It's still, you know, they have good isolation defenders too. That might be more of my 
I'm feeling very pro Bucks lately. Yeah, uh, I can tell. Be, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm on, I'm, I'm on a bit of a Bucks kicker right now. Uh, I just feel like we should just respect them a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do, I do feel that way about them. I also feel that way about the Nets too. Like just watching, watching the Bucks Sixers game last night, Embiid versus Giannis in like that playoff environment where you know they're both, they're both really, really wanted to win that game. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I, I I look at the East and I'm like I think you just need more. I think you just need more size. Like you know I just I don't know. Like small ball I, is is it like are are we sure? Is it is it a little bit archaic? Are the Nets are the Nets outdated? Well, uh, let me ask you this because like the other team I know you wanted to talk about from the East was the Heat. Do you think the Heat have enough size? Yeah, Bam's interesting, right? Did you see Bam's block the other day against the Hornets? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was incredible. For those who don't know, Bam, just like it is actually like watching like a shark attack. Like there is like I can't remember who which Hornets player was basically going for a mid range jumper, and as the sort of play is kind of evolving, you can see Bam nominally guarding somebody down in the post, but like looking at this at this poor shooter and is just like already imagining what he's going to do and then does it. It's really like something out of a, like the matrix or something. And he just covers about seven feet of ground in a split second and then elevates. I, it's not even jumping. He like honestly just rises and punches a jump shot out of the sky. Um, it's one of the best blocks I've seen this season, but yeah, you're right. Bam is, uh, Bam's got stout stuff. Like I, you know, I'm not. I don't think Bam's gonna get pushed around down low. Yeah, I was actually. I thought you were gonna bring up the the dunk that he had, where he he dunked it and then it bounced off of his own head two nights ago. Yeah. So he blocked his own shot. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's how good of a defender he is. He's literally like he's two places at once. He's on offense and then immediately on defense after. But yeah, the the Heat are the Heat are an interesting team to talk about in in this context too. Um, they probably made the biggest offseason change out of the teams that we're talking about and bringing Kyle Lowry. He's back in the lineup and he's also like he's a guy that's easier to integrate. He's really smart. And the reason I love watching them is because I mean it's actually it's the same reason I like watching all of these teams that we're gonna talk about. The Suns, the Warriors, the Bucks. Um we're gonna talk about the Jazz in kind of maybe a different context, but they all have this combination of now def- of continuity but also of players that are very intelligent on both ends of the floor mm-hmm. and who talk um and who now understand each other's tendencies too um and that combination has just kind of allowed these teams to be really like just they can morph into anything on defense. It's right. really like watching, like it's like watching the Warriors on offense, but like back in the day, in a way, like or even now with with with, uh, with Draymond in in the lineup, where you can kind of see them communicating as a five man group, like they are one person. Um, the Heat are probably just my favorite example of that because just because like I sheer love of watching them. Uh, but you know, bringing in Lowry and, and Tucker, just two really smart guys. Like Tucker is a frontline defender without being a frontline defender, right? And that the way that that just makes the job of somebody like Bam Adebayo so much easier, where he doesn't have to be the only person on the floor that's worried about, like, the other nine guys behind him, 
and the same kind of goes for 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 Lowry for for Butler too where they see defense not as just like their own matchup and their own responsibilities on their side of the court but it's yeah yeah exactly like they're just smart enough to be able to see everything happening at once right see that's funny I thought when you said that thing about Tucker I thought it was almost like you were saying that he plays perimeter defense in a physical way like he's a front line like he's like a well he does do that too. yeah right yeah he does do that too right like I think I thought like it I thought that the Bucks were really going to end up missing him, right? But I mean, I think they'll probably they, they've had enough internal improvements. But he's been an incredible pickup for them, just because like he'll use all six fouls in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and like they'll all be useful. And he's just impossible to. You can get around him, but it's going to exhaust you, right? Um, he's a big reason that I think Kevin Durant had a foot on the line um, in in Game Seven. Yeah, he's kind of like you know, a like a heavy bag in in boxing, where it's like he takes all of the you know maybe yeah. maybe his his opposing his the guy he's defending puts 30 up but like nobody else had to guard that guy cuz PJ Tucker was like did the best anyone could do on Kevin Durant in those games and what he did was spare Middleton and Holiday and Giannis from getting t- too overtaxed by Durant like that's like a huge that's a huge advantage in a game. It keeps guys fresh. And then so if you flip that to now with Miami, it's like that's just a dude that Butler doesn't have to spend time guarding or Lowry doesn't have to spend time guarding or Bam for that matter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love that it gives them the element where they have rim protection and they have like the switchy stuff at the same time. It just allows you to do a lot more stuff. And I think that rim protection is also just something that's become a little bit underrated in the NBA as well. And it's strange because like I've been saying this whole podcast, like the Bucks won the championship last year. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Like it's just kind of like when I, I as, as we kind of get into like April is coming up and you, and you start thinking about matchups. I really like, I like the way that the heat can just be really versatile against pretty much any team in, in, the, in the league right now. This episode is supported by state farm, man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Let's go over to the Western Conference, and we'll start at the top. Why don't we talk about the Suns a little bit? Because I know you've been dying to, and last I think it was last night, the Suns beat the Rockets by three, but Chris Paul like jammed his hand. Sounds like he's going to be fine. Got tossed uh, for uh, lightly bumping a ref. 
But they still got the W, and I feel like on every podcast I listen to and every piece I read, it's like the Suns being the best team in the league is kind of talked about the way it would be like seven, eight years ago when the Spurs would just be like buzzsawing through the league. And it would be like, that's cool. They're just the best team. They obviously have elite top 10 offense and defenses but I really would rather talk about something else which is not a straw man like that's what it was like and honestly I participated in that because like I wasn't really trying to like spend a ton of time talking about Tony Manu and and Tim Duncan or whatever but this kind of feels like one of those Spurs teams that are just cruising the only thing I would say is just that like that Chris Paul thing was an example of how thin the margins are for the Suns I do think that Paul is essential to their success isn't that the case though for pretty much every i guess you know you worry about injuries more with them though yeah i mean like the sixers and bead the bucks the bucks Giannis, like they're all but like i think i worry a little bit more about after watching that video of chris paul and jj talking about not being able to lift his hand over his head yeah yeah i'm like ah, stuff can happen to chris paul you never know i also just love chris paul roasting the lakers for not playing the right defense i actually i love throughout that whole podcast i just loved chris paul and jj reddick roasting other people's tactical mistakes whether it was they talked about the eight and lob and how the the clippers backline defense was just horrible on that and he was just like yeah not gonna lie they just shouldn't have guarded me for the first two games at all or like just any of my jumpers but you know like the thing the thing with the suns though is that like you know they did have they had a fair share of chris paul injuries throughout the playoffs and they managed to overcome them mm-hmm. um and i think that they're even more well positioned to do that this season um there's an interesting like mvp debate with the suns where it's like is is chris paul the mvp but also like they are just such a well-balanced team and a lot of that is being credited towards him but they also just have like they're probably my favorite team to to watch mm-hmm. right now and they are also probably the team that i have coming out of the west right now uh just because they have been able to meld this like kind of fusion of like development and uh, and role that everyone has kind of found a way to level up. Like this year, it's kind of been like Aiton's been hurt and like Mikhail is like the new Aiton, right? Like he's kind of become like he was starting. He was starting to kind of get his mid range game going, but he's getting like his 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 isolation is just much better this this season. Um, you just off the dribble stuff. Like he can his his floaters are just money. Like he has incredible touch. Um, and like now it's like it's like Cam Johnson is now the new Mikhail. Yeah, <laughs> where he is kind of figuring out that part of his game. But there's almost this idea that they're going along in like kind of like a collegiate program of like yeah. last year was Mikhail's 101. Now he's in 102. You know, Cam is coming into 101 next year. You know, it, it's it's you're right. Yeah. It's like this idea that they almost have a finishing school f- at Phoenix for like for their for their developmental projects. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, they've done a really good job of that, and they're just they're already scary enough that like you know they're they're the only team in the, in the NBA right now that's top five in offensive and defensive rating. Um, and they're the only team that's consistently stayed there too. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously they've had they've had injury luck this season for sure. Um, they've been able to, other than Aiton, like, and and you know they've they've had some backup issues and stuff, but for the most part, they've been able to keep their starting lineup intact. Um, so that obviously helps them, and you don't know if that's going to stick. Uh, like, but at the same time, it's just like that just makes them it just it just makes them even more well positioned right now. Like going into April, I'm like, okay, this team is already really good. How good are they going to be? you know, in May, how good are they going to be after the first round, right? Like this, they, they just continually showed enough signs of progress um, that I'm kind of just, I'm in, in, in terms of 
assuming that the problems that they face, they will be able to solve. Like, it's kind of the confidence that you used to feel about the Warriors. Um, and, I, and you still do about them to some degree. They're just a, in a little bit more turmoil right now uh, than, than the Suns are. Uh, but yeah, they're just really fun to watch. And they have everything. Like, that, that's, that's the thing that really impresses me about them. Like, they have, they have Chris Paul to set everybody up and also be like the secondary clutch guy um they have Devin Booker who can just hit like every shot and just go off and those guys don't have to you know be playing like really hard defense or they they will play really hard defense but they are not going to have to bear the brunt of you know the tough matchups because Mikhail Bridges can guard pretty much anybody in the west on the perimeter um pretty like probably one of the best Steph Curry defenders I've seen and you know Donovan Mitchell and then on on the Aiton end um you know the west and it goes through also Jokic as well, who he has shown he can defend. Uh, so I just, I don't know. I'm very impressed by them. And I just, I don't see weaknesses is, I guess, what impresses me the most. And they also like short up in the offseason or, or, or the trade deadline too. So they're currently walking away with the conference a little bit. Yeah. I think the Spurs are an amazing comparison, by the way. They might, that might mean, though, that they see the Lakers in the first round. Which would be hilarious. I mean, also like, like if the Lakers make the playoffs. Well, so Dave is out for a month. Uh, the Lakers do not have what I would call an easy schedule coming up. Um, so it's going to put even more pressure on LeBron now. The idea that Russ was going to come in and that they were going to like redistribute the sort of usage load over the course of the season is obviously like just not going to happen now. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of trying to figure out what these... I don't think the Lakers would ever like shut it down for the season. But I don't know. I mean, on one hand, I'm like very amused by the idea of like a play-in tournament Lakers team taking on the Suns in the first round is like an awesome first round matchup. Uh, unfortunately for the Suns, it's like here for all your hard work over the next, th- these last two seasons, you get to play the Lakers again in the playoffs. <laughs> Seems like it's unfair. We should probably try to like make like a, a push for like the Blazers. Like it feels like the Blazers are a more appropriate like eighth seed for them to play. <laughs> there's actually, there's a couple of unappetizing options there because the other end of it could be, and this would be much more dangerous is this sort of like will they or won't they with the Clippers that's going on with Kawhi oh, right. Leonard and yeah. Paul George? Um, if they end up in that range, they can't. If been soon enough for them to move up in the standing some, uh, but also just a team that you don't want to face, probably more so than the Lakers. Yeah, but then you look at that. You look at the teams above them, and it's like if the Nuggets get back Porter or Murray, they're probably not shedding games there. The the mm-hmm. Grizz are, are certified at this point. Like the Jazz, we're going to talk about next briefly, but like the Jazz and the Warriors are going anywhere. Like, I don't really know where the Clippers can climb up to. I mean, they can maybe scratch back and get the Mavs or something like that. But uh, even with Kawhi. Even the, even the Mavs. Yeah. So t- talk to me a little bit about um, the Jazz and the Warriors before we get out of here, because they both, I think, did their business kind of during the offseason. The Jazz brought in... Um, Oh gosh, who did the Jazz trade for? Uh, they brought in Rudy Gay and Eric oh, Pascal. Uh, and they they yeah. got Nikhil in the trade. Though. And yeah. uh, th- it's funny, like some of the way that we've been talking about these teams that were like, nobody's really seeming to pay attention to this team because it's just their their continuity and they're just like kind of clicking along and they have ups and downs, but they're for the most part like winning at this f- high 50s, 60% rate. The Jazz are a perfect example of this. In fact, like I read something recently with Mitch- Donovan Mitchell where he was kind of like, you know, Rudy and I like each other, and this is probably the best we've been playing together. And like, we're really good, but like, nobody seems to really be noticing this season. Um, do you think that the Jazz are kind of at their ceiling, or is there, you know, are they out of luck because of like the way the West is kind of shaken out? Or do you think that there's like another level for them to go to? Yeah, the Jazz are in a really interesting spot. So obviously, 
you know, this is kind of, they, I guess, are the other end sometimes of standing pat or trying to make incremental moves where, you know, Ingles, obviously you don't see him getting hurt and being out for the season, but, and, and I, I didn't either, you know, like I, th- I thought he'd, I, th- I assumed everybody would be like just a little bit better this year, but the, the age bug is kind of hitting them because some of their vets and like this applies to Mike Conley too, are just on a different timeline than, uh, than Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert. But it's also not like a threat level emergency either. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote a feature about the Hawks earlier this season. And I think one of the mistakes that they made and you know, like they, they try to avoid it. It's just this quote from Travis Schlink keeps sticking out to me about how you don't make the Eastern conference playoff finals every year like you don't assume that because you made that now the next thing is the finals that's not how it works like you you build a good team you hope to get a bunch of shots and that one of them works out um and I think I think the Hawks almost cratered under the expectations of becoming better and I maybe they are actually the real dark end of of continuity right yeah but the Jazz are in a similar position um not for any reasons that they could really even control you know, like they, they tried to plug some holes in the off season. I think they knew that they needed, you know, just more frontline help for Gobert, better better defensive rotations from from that four position. Um, they tried to make make up for it, um, but they just didn't have like the guy that would be Jeremy Grant, essentially, right? Like that's that's the guy that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Like they called it kind of like the the Aaron Gordon to the Nuggets trade in terms of like you know completing the team, not they, but it just was called that. Um, but and it, and I think it would have been, and like they didn't get him, and that's unfortunate. So you're probably going to kind of be a four seed this year, and like that's not going to be it. But if this the, the bigger thing to me is like the Donovan Rudy pairing, and how that kind of moves forward through these moments that aren't going to be like the we're the number one seed in the west moment like the 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 moments where the defense is struggling and rudy is like kind of pissed about it and maybe being passive aggressive about devin booker and all that stuff like we talked about that before how do they kind of handle those moments because that kind of shows what like what you're able to do in the future like so far the teams that we've talked about you know the, the suns are they don't have really like in the locker room at least they don't really have reasons for for discontent the warriors have always been really good at handling it um the Heat are pros. Uh, you know, the Sixers ended up winning games, and I think that ended up being important for them. You know, like, their teams yeah, where it's sure. important for them, right? The Bucks are going to be fine. Um, the Jazz, we don't know. And it's, I think it's going to be an interesting test of, like, Donovan Mitchell's leadership, basically, which is something that I think we've kind of talked about, like, the type of guy that Donovan Mitchell is throughout his career. I think, like, from the moment he was a rookie, it was very clear that he was, like, you know, just very intelligent, special, emotionally attuned to people, um, and, you know, just kind of has the qualities that you need to be able to be you know, not only just like a, like he's kind of like a quarterback in a sense, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, it's gonna be an interesting test, but I think that if they kind of pull back and accept this season for what it is, then I think they might even be able to see, I think it's going to be the, it flip. Could. I do think with the jazz, I think that this is ages there. It feels like there has been a somewhat subtle changing of the guard there in terms of like, who's running that team. I think that for, First of all, like the second Quinn Snyder would hit the market, he would get a job. Like, I I just think Quinn Snyder would be a great Knicks coach. Yeah, but why would you like? You know, why does Quinn Snyder have to go? Well, I mean, like somebody's got to go. Why? That's that's kind of my point. Right? Yeah. Like, let's just let's let's circumvent that part of this, 
right now. So just keep going. Just keep, keep going. trying again and again. Yeah. Right now. I mean, now, that is a way to do for it. For now, at least. Like, if this continues to not work, but it's, you know, I think the problem was very clear in the playoffs that. So if they lose in the second round, then we can talk, right? But at, at, okay. even then, even then. So, like, the way that I see it is they know what they need, they just weren't able to get it, right? They kind of did the next best, best thing in getting a guy like Nikhil Alexander Walker, who, you know, in. In in uh in New Orleans, I think he just wasn't necessarily used correctly, and I don't I don't know that New Orleans necessarily had like the personnel to do it infrastructure. Uh, but he was kind of trying to be like an actual point guard a lot of the times, and like you know just moving off the dribble a lot. Whereas in reality, I feel like he's probably more of like a defender playmaker. Um, he's got really great athleticism and size and the jazz definitely need that right like having somebody who can kind of run the floor with Mitchell is going to give him a new element and the fact that he can just like kind of jump out and and contest shots and you know you know move from the interior to to the perimeter and stuff just being a little bit faster than some of the guys they have had on the perimeter potentially like you know it's it's all potential right now with him right this is almost it's a very early second draft for walker right uh but i think he still has a ton of potential so for me it's like okay they made a move that could be good for right now and could be good for the future and that like this is a young guy who if he does develop could fit really well into their core and what they're trying to do um like you do have concerns when you know like when you have a guy like obear on your team you do have concerns anytime you put on a non-floor spacer uh but if he develops and he's not like it's not like it's impossible for him to shoot. It's just like sure. it, was, it was it was mismatched and, you know. But, yeah, I don't know. I think I think you just kind of maybe, like, take a mulligan this season and just see what you can get next offseason, see what happens with Walker. But, like, you have a reasonable framework, right? So yeah. stick with it and see what happens. Because, like, this is kind of... This like weathering this this storm of like whatever is happening with with Mitchell and Gobert is essentially like kind of what some of these other teams weren't able to do. It's why you see so much player movement and stuff. So you know, sure. I don't know. Like I, I like I like I like the idea of just seeing what this team can can do. So Sierra, after talking about all this stuff, and I guess we didn't really talk about the Warriors that much, but I was curious. You know, we started this conversation being like, screw all this player movement stuff. Mm-hmm. It's all about continuity. So are you looking forward to a Bucks Suns rematch? Yeah, absolutely. So you? you like personal basketball continuity, like like as a fan as well, right? Yeah, like rivalries. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I think that there's like a little bit of like there's something nice about it when you get something like that because it gives you a sort of sense of what the age is that you're living in, right? Like it's like an, what is the era defined by? Like what is what is like the who are the major players? What teams were able to have sustained success? And then there is the like ADHD channel surfer in me that's like yeah I kind of want to see Kevin Durant play against this guy you know what I mean like (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's 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 fun but honestly it's so the the other side of the ADHD thing is that like you can kind of just you get into these these teams that have been together for a while and you can just really start digging in I think I just like to ruminate you know yeah you know I want to I want to think about like just you know what like the the growth of the 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 Duncan Robinson uh, Bam Adebayo like dribble handoff game, you know, like what what how, what, how different does that look every every year, you know? Is, right, and you can't feel like you're really digging into it if there's just like constantly this like like there's just like so much erratic you know variance in the NBA. Before we go, do you want to talk a little bit about the team that's probably defined our professional lives, which is the the Warriors? Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to. I was actually going to ask you. Um, 
like where where do they stand to you for for you right now? They remind me of the Bucks, which is they're like they're obviously having a little bit. They had they have this, this huge, this wonderful starts of the season. I think that they have weathered some stuff really well. I think that Draymond's back is a concern, but like they they have like every reason to just play it as conservatively as possible with that. They gave an update saying he'd be back sometime after the All Star game, which is really yeah, the like, most. I think with a back, you're update. just like don't rush back. And also for the Warriors, they're probably like you guys go ahead and have the first seed and worry about who's coming out of that play in tournament. You know, like yeah, they're they're probably content to take that two seed. So. I have a lot of confidence in them. The clay thing, uh, you know, has been awesome to watch like on the nights when he's really clicking. It was like that Lakers game that he like peeled off 30. But yeah, I think that they might be one big man short for uh, the playoff run, but that's kind of maybe I, I will. I really want to go back to this podcast when we get to the end of the season and find out how important these big guys were in the playoffs maybe we need to do a small ball like a state of small ball episode because that's kind of the exact sort of thing that i'm thinking about the warriors too where i think the league has just changed and actually like adjusted to the warriors and the space that they've created by you know packing these teams that just have a ton of perimeter length together um and kind of just like I, f- I feel like you know the the Bucks, the Suns, um, the Raptors. Although they aren't they aren't contenders, the Heat to some extent. You know the Sixers to some extent. All well, configured a little bit differently. Like if you, if all those teams just like held hands, um, at the top of the court, like you just wouldn't really be able to do anything. <laughs> no, you um, wouldn't. And yeah, it just it's just I'm I'm curious to see because it's like they're kind of tactically the nets of the west except that i don't think you necessarily need that much front court size in the west um like Jokic matters but if if the nuggets aren't going to be healthy then you're, you're like they'll figure out a way to beat them but you know the mavs just sh- shipped kpo um the, the suns don't really use ayton in in the, that sort of like destructive offensive post guy role quite yet it's developing yeah, and that's kind of something i'm role. curious to see yeah. like especially now that he's healthy what that will look like if they kind of go in that direction Grizzlies with Jaron Jackson, another guy was might be a year away from like a, a series against Dr- Draymond. But then again, like the way that, th- that those Grizzlies like were a great example of a team that was was able to meet the Warriors' physicality in the in the play-in, and they have that element of you know having a guy like Xavier Tillman and Jaron Jackson to make them a little bit more versatile too. But uh, they do scare me in that sense that I just mm-hmm. don't know that they'll have that element. Um, that's why, like, you know, going into the season, you'd probably hope, like, James Wiseman would, would make some strides. And that's kind of like, yeah. the thing with the Warriors, too, is, like, their younger guys are just a little bit younger, you know? <laughs> like, they're just not quite there yet. Like, even even Jordan Poole is, like, as, as fun as he is to watch. We're, we're a pro-Jordan Poole podcast. Like, you know, he's, he, he makes some plays where you're just like, I, I hope that's out of his system by, by June. Right. <laughs> I hope that's out of his system. We can wrap it up there. Uh, we're going to come back next week and hit you uh, as we get into the second half of the season. Thanks so much for listening. Chris Sutton was our producer today. Sarah, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.